You're listening to Rock Shop Live, brought to you by Stuart Travel Guitars. See the incredible stowaway travel guitar at stewartguitars.com. Microphones for Rock Shop Live are provided by Rode Microphones. Now for Music Gear Network, here's your host, guitarist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, it is the weekend. Happy Friday afternoon to you all, and I hope you're having a great uh, start off of the weekend. I know a lot of you are probably still in the workplace. Try to sneak in this video uh, so the boss doesn't see you. But uh, we are live, and we're joined this afternoon by someone, one of the most busiest guitarists in the business, joining us from Las Vegas, Joel Hilkstra. Joel, how are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a better part of a year, and finally, you know, we've, we're able to connect, and it's nice to finally, uh, you know, make this happen. And I know you're extremely busy, so getting any time uh, with you is is wonderful. So thank you for that. And I want to let our fans know that are watching right now too live that this is going to be a shorter program. Uh, we're looking at probably around 45 minutes today, so we're going to try to keep things running really fast. We'll say hi to as many people as I can, but we probably won't be able to get to every single person. So, uh, so please excuse us for that. But since so you're kicking off, you're, uh, you just kicked off the residency with Sherry. Have you got one, one or two shows under your belt? Yeah, just one show so far, and then uh, a night off last night where I uh, went up to Vamped and sat in with Jeff Scott Soto and Jason Beeler for couple songs nice (laughs) impromptu jam that's nice that's nice. I, I'm going to bring up Jeff Scott Soto's uh, name later on in the program. He's been on the show here as well, too. I had all the guys from Sons of Apollo come on over the course of five nights, and each one of them tried to prove uh, who was a bigger Van Halen fan. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty funny. And, of course, the so last guy. Who won? Who won that? I think Mike Portnoy did. Really? I think wow, he did. Okay. I think he did. Now, I think uh, Billy had more. Uh, he's played with more members of Van Halen than I think some of the other guys have. Uh, Derek's only played with one, and Billy's played with a few. So, you know, it's, it was kind of cool. But the last guy coming on the show obviously gets the last say. So, I, of course, Mike wins by default. Yeah. yeah, all right. But it was pretty cool, though, too, because a fan happened. To, Mike's in his cave downstairs, and, you know, he's got everything set up. And someone asked him, he says, do you think Mike would hop on the kit? And when you ask Mike Portnoy to hop on the kit, he hops on the kit. He jumps over and he plays Hot for Teacher live on the Air Force from his basement. Nice. So that well, was pretty that would, cool. That would get the win right there, right? Yeah, yeah. But let's jump back over to Cher for a second. This is like someone myself who's never seen Cher live. I, I mean, I grew, my mom was a major fan of Cher. So, I mean, I grew up listening to, you know, Sonny and Cher or in what, the TV shows and all that kind of stuff. It obviously shows my age. Um, but I've never seen her live. But I think a lot of people are probably to be quite surprised that there's more of a rock show than you would expect. Uh, well, I think it did. It, it's all styles that across her career. And of course she had the eighties stuff. And, uh, I mean, I, I try and rock out the guitar tones on that a little bit more than on the originals. Like you go back and listen to turn back time. The guitar tone was kind of not that gainy and kind of chorused out. And so I try to little by little, <laughs> a little more hard rock. Yeah. Uh, there's a few step out moments at the end of the show, but honestly, for the most part, I'm in the background and there's, there's lots of just clean guitar, rhythm guitar, waka chaka stuff. And, you know, uh, the 60s stuff had that kind of, you know, I got you babe, like arpeggiating chords clean on a silver tone style guitar, Dan Electro. Uh, so, there, there's a lot of different styles, which is actually the the fun part, and it's it's good that there's a little bit of like rocking in it. You know, I, I'd be I'd be disappointed probably if there was none. That's right, because it's like you have a Ferrari engine and you you got to govern to no faster than fifty miles per hour, is forty miles per hour. 
Well, at the end of the day, I mean, any opportunity to, uh, I guess, get paid to play, mm-hmm. to get better on your instrument, that's that's the road to go. So no matter what style that may be, I'm usually down with it because it's, it's going to help me get better on guitar and it's better to, to actually get paid to practice. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, she's got great musicians in her band and it's a great opportunity for me to play with an iconic a uh, person like herself or whatever recognizable and you know it's that credit that like your parents can say to their friends and everybody knows who Cher is <laughs> exactly well I, I someone like yourself who's a, a very talented player knows when to play and when not to play but did you ever get any funny looks maybe bringing some of your little you know tasty treats to the uh, to the music or did anyone look on stage right or stage left like kind of like oh was that, that's too much or did you just kind of blend in like a chameleon I don't really change too much when I come into something. So I came in subbing, and I just pretty much played note for note what the the guy who was doing uh, before me was doing. And uh, that's the anytime you're going to fill in, that's good advice for anybody. It's just uh, nobody wants anything different, really, unless they're firing the guy for a reason. But I was filling in for somebody they were totally happy with. So the goal is to sound exactly like that person when you're going to when you're going to fill in or sub and then if the gig is yours eventually you can kind of start making it your own bit by bit which is that's sort of been uh the philosophy but it's really been minimal change it's not it's not that kind of gig you know it's not like about getting my licks in or anything like that people are there to see share period so uh, it's it's more about like just trying to fit in on a personality level with everybody and play really really like solid rhythm guitar uh, no mistakes kind of gig you know a wrong chord would be a big deal exactly so. exactly well yeah. it's, that's great and I'm sure it's a lot of fun as well as you said too like it's like paid practice and you get to go rock it with a lot of the other groups that you're talking about just like last night sitting in with your friends and you know and actually speaking of which too uh, Vegas residency is the home of residencies uh, Def Leppard uh, they're doing their residency now how how long have they been playing do you know there like at this during this uh, tour uh, I think think they did just like one week before this started usually their shares residencies here are a little over three weeks with the the day or two rehearsal included and i think that's what uh the leps are doing uh and this particular share one is only two weeks so i think they started a week before us but yeah phil came down uh the first night which was great to have him down i've been playing his model the the jackson pc1 on the gig for a while so um that was it was neat to play his model guitar i guess for for him that's cool yeah the blue one right that's what you're using with with uh the band yeah yeah Mm -hmm. nice very very nice well let's say hi to a whole bunch of people here very fast i'm getting some reports that the internet's a little choppy here but we'll see if we can get through it uh brad miller's here we have a question coming up from brad miller in a second as well too quentin james jason wade Anne marie uh, fazler if i'm pronouncing it right jack clark joe hervey ladybug is here dolores fisher um continuing on ed b is here a uh, lot of lot of fans in the house of you for sure will dunham is here uh jimmy biter is here as well too frank mcnail rob f i think i might have said that already thomas farrow mark taylor is here um yeah we are getting a few reports that's choppy but we should be good so here's a question from brad miller i mentioned this as well too brad is a guitar player he's from down in the florida era area and he's one of our patreon supporters and he has two good questions for you he asks uh and you've played with a lot of artists so this might be a tough one for you uh, is there any artist that you haven't played with before, either live or on, on the album, uh, that you would love to? And I'll follow up with a second question for you from him in a moment, too. Uh, I get that question a lot, but I can't really name anybody specifically. My MO is just kind of playing with 
uh, talented people who are like positive minded and then obviously on the higher level the better uh, in terms of recognition or whatever uh, but anybody who's talented and positive is is uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it yeah that's that's very important the, the positive thing is I mean sometimes I'm sure you may agree with this Some, you could play with someone that maybe is not the world's most talented individual but the energy that they give off positive energy just good people in general uh, I think that can be very contagious and inspiring too yeah definitely yeah. I think that just that that level of uh, personal interaction if you get along with somebody that goes a long way yeah I, I agree I agree and the next question from Brad as well too uh, he says uh, when you're going to put another solo record, 13 was too long ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working on it. It's fully written. Uh, just waiting on Russell Allen to get the vocals done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, everybody set their clocks. We're just uh, just waiting on Russell. Vinny Apice's done tracking it. Uh, Tony Franklin's done with his bass parts. Um, I tracked a whole scratch vocal for Russell of me singing it poorly and just said, sing it better than me, but sing roughly this. <laughs> uh, so all the lyrics are written, songs are written, just waiting on Russ. And uh, from there, I'll do my real guitars and, and hopefully get Derek on keyboards on there again and and uh, have Soto contribute on some sort of level. Not sure exactly what this time, but, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just shooting for the same guys. Nice, nice. I really, really love Jeff as a singer. I, I was watching some of your stuff today with him. Uh, and watching some of his his solo stuff with you and stuff like that as well too. It's just nice to see you work together. But he just owns everything he puts his voice to. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, and that's a question I had for you. And it's more coming up from the fans as well too. Two people I've had on the show that I've I've had I've only had uh, Jeff on once, but Michael Sweet I've had on about three or four times. And he come on recently and did a nice long talk about you know how he could how he feels he could produce the next great Van Halen record, but. I really admire both those guys. They're two of my favorite singers in the business. Michael uh, just happens to be a phenomenal guitar player too. But any things you could share with us as takeaways of working with both those gentlemen uh, in some several cases or sometimes uh, several times, anything about the business you learned from them or just inspiring things you took away from them, talking about positive people? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, well, those are the, you're, you're citing two, two guys that fit the bill of that description I gave you of people I like to work with because they're both just really like positive dudes and uh, very talented guys. I'm trying to, I don't know if I have any stories in particular. I mean, Michael's new solo record, 10, is out, and I have two songs on there that I co-wrote with him and uh, played on as well, so everybody can check that out soon. That's coming out on, on Rat Pack Records here very soon. And uh, with Jeff, uh, like I said, hopefully he'll contribute to uh, my record, but I'll see him at the TSO rehearsals coming up in, in October. So uh, we always, he, he tours with TSO West and I tour with TSO East, so we technically don't tour on that together, but mm -hmm. we see each other for like two weeks in the rehearsal process every day. So it's, you, you do uh, find ways to connect with uh, the people on, in, you know, the alternate band as well on that. But I, I don't know, but I can't really come up with any anything specific to tell you offhand, but love both those dudes. They're both nice. great guys and, and uh, fit that description. I didn't even realize until today, believe it or not, until almost minutes before showtime that there was a TSO West in the East. And I mean, it makes total sense. When you look at the tour dates, I mean, you're you know, playing in two different cities at the same night in a lot of cases. And uh, after, after you do, uh, obviously, this residency, I know you pick up again. We'll talk about it, a bit of the White Snake tour overseas and then uh, TSO again. So, I mean, just bang, bang, bang. And I was very happy to find out that you were part of the West. 
because you're hitting a venue near us. You're hitting Toronto on the 30th of December. So I'm going to come ch- check that out as well, too. You mean the East? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. in the, the East band. Yeah. So, yeah, Toronto. I think we're playing Scotiabank again at the end this year, right? I think December 30th is yes. Scotiabank. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I mean, being a part of the TSO thing is amazing. Like you said, I have the, the chair residency here. I'm home for like 10 days after that. Then it's Whitesnake in South America. Then Cher is letting me come in for when I'm available in Europe, which is fantastic. So nice. I'll go straight to Europe and play seven shows with her there, Europe and UK. Uh, and then from there, I go straight to TSO rehearsals and, and do that tour. So it's going to be quite a finish to the year. How much downtime do you find yourself getting throughout the year? I mean, you probably want to be as busy as you are, but it doesn't sound like you have much time to yourself. Uh, I mean... It's not that bad, really. I mean, out here, the residency is, is easy. There's only three shows a week. So nice. I've got four days off a week out here with no travel. So it's, I mean, it, it, people say that stuff all the time, but I think they're just used to musicians not having work. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> like, wow, you mean you're actually gigging and like working? Because it's not that hard. I mean, compare it to like people who are actually putting in 10 hour days, five, six days a week or 12 hour days on their jobs. It's, I mean, come on. Can I really complain? I'm getting to live my dream and be able to play guitar and, and see the world. And so it's, I mean, can't, can't complain. Man. That's true. Well, I guess, yeah, three, three times a week, you get to hang out with some of your buddies as well, too, due to some uh, fill-in gigs with them and stuff like that. I know another person I've had recently on the show, Nilly Bro, she's been on, and she talked about doing the, you know, the, the Cirque, uh, Michael Jackson type tour or whatever and I think she was doing like three shows a day and, yeah it's you know, hard work the Cirque thing is hard work yeah. yeah and costumes heavy heavy costumes that kind of stuff so I mean you got to be physically even even uh, for yourself the touring that you're doing I mean I know you do a lot I've seen a lot of social media stuff where you're you know, shooting some hoops and playing some basketball and things like that is there any little uh, you know re- regimes that you go through to um, maybe diet as well too to stay fit on the road uh, yeah, I do great with exercise. I mean, I, I exercise at least six days a week and, uh, sometimes seven, but then, you know, the diet thing is always a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like anybody else. I don't have, uh, I don't have a whole lot of vices left. I don't really drink anymore. I don't really do drugs. So, I mean, it's kind of like, all right, yeah, that piece of cake looks really good. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I, lo- I love to work out and exercise and try to hold it together as best I can for, uh, you know, my age and all that stuff and try to remain healthy. Uh, that's definitely plays, plays a big role in, in trying to have some longevity with what I'm doing. And uh, I will say the TSO tour is that's that's a challenge. That's like a, uh, it's like the Cirque thing. Yeah. Maybe harder because you do city to city every day. So. Yeah. Uh, when you do eight shows a week with that and the shows are about two and a half hours long on a, a double show day with TSO would look like, uh, you know, you wake up on the bus in whatever city you're in, get showered, work out, you know, obviously the workout before the shower, hopefully, yeah. unless you're going to be smelly, <laughs> but, uh, sound check two and a half hour show, quick break, two and a half hour show, uh, quick, uh, meet and greet for like radio people and press people. And then you do the signing line for the arena. And then by the time you're on the bus, it's, it's like close to midnight and like, you know, 1130 at night, something like that. So, uh, it's those, those are long days. And then you'll do three of those double show days in a row. So by the time you get to the Sunday night show, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is hard. This is hard work. Yeah. So that that's the one moment where I'd say, yeah, I I work hard, but the rest of the time, 
Like white snake in South America will be fairly easy too. That's uh, when you tour Australia or South America, and the gear needs to get around by truck. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of days off because the the cities are really spread out. Yep. So for your own gear to make it there, I mean, we're obviously going to take planes mm-hmm. or whatever, but uh, it, it takes a while for the the gear to get there. So you usually have two days off leading into a, a show day. That's kind of nice. Yeah, and uh, you're doing. I think about. I wrote the dates down, but I think around eight dates over overseas. Does that sound about right? I think South America is nine, and then I'm doing seven with Share in the Europe UK. Okay. So uh, sixteen by the time I hit the TSO, and I haven't really, I haven't looked at how many we're doing with TSO, but it's probably something like uh, sixty. It's usually right about high fifties. It's 60. crazy. Yeah, I saw that for sure. I saw that on your website, or actually on your Facebook. But that is very cool. I mean, obviously, it's a great nod of respect from Share just to say, "Yep, yeah, okay, no problem. You're going to be over here. We'll pick you up here, stuff like that." So obviously, there is a, a, a lot of uh, admiration for you as a player, and obviously, what you contribute to the band—that's pretty cool. She's been amazing about that. I mean, that's that's really the way I've, I've maintained juggling the the three gigs that people. Uh, know me for at this point obviously white snake and and tso and, and share it's like it it can't always all fit together so right. it's like how's that going to work out so she's she's been amazing in that regard and and hopefully that can continue and i can uh you know thankfully i got my friend ben morrow who fills in for me when i can't make it and he's been doing a great job and so everybody's happy with the scenario and hopefully it keeps rolling <laughs> That's good. Well, we're fingers crossed on that one. We have a question from Anne-Marie uh, Fowler. She's saying, and uh, maybe you'll remember this, so hopefully you do. What's the first song that you ever wrote? Do you remember that? First song that I ever wrote was mm-hmm. a really, really terrible riff that I still remember how to play, like from when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> and then my first band, uh, I... I was 15, I think, when we wrote our first kind of like, this is one that's going to get played in front of people. And yeah, and that was terrible, too. It was like the the main riff kind of sounded like the verse in Crazy Train a little bit, that kind of A major. It was terrible. It was a terrible (laughs) song. It was called Back to a Heart. Find your way back. You know, not find your way back. That would have been Jefferson Starship. But I think Back to a Heart or something like that was the name of it. Awful. But you remember it. That's good. It must have been something about it. Of course. I, I have a recording of it. I think uh, eventually I'm probably going to uh, upload even all the embarrassing early stuff. I just got my hands on all the cassettes and stuff like that of uh, early day. I just need to get it in the digital domain and, and uh, share with people so they can know just exactly how terrible I was when I was 15. <laughs> I'll share a funny story with you that you'll appreciate. I'm glad that you mentioned it. I just I just reached down and grabbed it. This is a cassette. Obviously, what a cassette. A lot of a lot of people watching the show have never seen one of these devices before. You know, we'd take our pencils and get in there if we'd have a you know a bad thing, whatever. But this was my first solo cassette I did in high school, and I made about 250 copies of them all myself. It's you know duplicated every single one. Did all the artwork myself, colored it, whatever. And no copies were left. I had no copies left. Many, many years into the future, I start working for this internet company and a couple of colleagues of mine, they went out at lunch and went to a yard sale. They come back and they said, hey, Eric, we found your, we bought your album at a, at a yard sale. I'm like, oh my God, like for 15 cents, mind you. And I go to put it on, someone recorded over it. Oh, bummer. <laughs> Talk about an ego crusher. You know, like you're thinking, oh man, this is the greatest thing. I got my like my only recording back, and I, I was doing into the Steve Vai stuff and everything at that age. You know, just everything that was bizarre, all the shrapnel stuff. You know, and uh, someone recorded over. I I forget what's even on it, but it certainly isn't me. 
I did a lot of stuff on four track when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. And uh, some of that stuff I don't have like bounces of. Mm-hmm. So I actually just got, uh, a, I bought one of those four tracks online not too long ago on eBay. And I'm just kind of waiting for the time where it's like, all right, I've, I've got a lot of time off. I can do this just to be able to go back, put the master cassette in the four track and try and get a bounce of it so it can exist. That's very That's cool. Not, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to make it work or at least to, you know, maybe get each track into Pro Tools or something like that and try and get a little mix master of it. But um, yeah, it'd be nice to have that stuff uh, archived whatever just yeah for sure because who knows you know for when i when i'm long gone that people can listen to and go god he was terrible (laughs) what is nice obviously all these pieces that you've written as musicians in general have written they all meant something to us at some point and to let them just die away in a tape in a box somewhere in the corner just really isn't fair to the song now there might only be a handful of ones that you might think are really good or even maybe one um but the thing is I, i think they all deserve that light of day and it's very cool that you're kind of taking the steps to preserve that and fans will love it too yeah yeah i I think in the end it's people people understand that it's all just part of the growing process and Mm -hmm. it's actually uh cool for younger kids to hear where you were at when you were young yeah as well now for uh like aside from the four track getting these old four tracks so you can you know remaster some of the stuff or at least get some bounces from it do you do anything on the road like you know if some guys will just bring out their iphone or their phone and record a riff or something or do you have any little mobile rigs you like to take around in case inspiration hits you and you don't want to lose that i got a mobile rig it depends on how i'm packing for the the runs you right. know like if i'm if i'm only taking my carry-on bag then usually the little mobile recording uh thing stays at home but yeah i i have a little uh just direct device and then a very small interface so i can use pro tools on the road if i've got work to do uh this particular one i didn't do it just because it's on i'm only here two weeks and i don't really have any like pending sessions or anything like that so just uh yeah leaving leaving that one at home this time yep and there's always a way i mean there's i mean even if you didn't have anything there's always you know, you got a phone kicking around or something if there's something really hits you and you think you got to record it there's always a way that's, yeah that's always on voice memo on my iphone yeah if, if something hits me if i'm a lot of times i'll write up a, a song while i'm walking i'll i'll just be like walking around in whatever city i'm in and i'll i'll have a chorus come into my head and i always there's lots of lots of lots of voice memos of me singing into my phone in various cities around the world <laughs> people think you're either talking on on uh, speakerphone or whatever but while you're recording a new song have you ever gone to bed at night and uh, you know with like a really cool guitar riff in your head and forgot it in the morning uh yeah there's been times uh, like i'm i'm sure you've had it as well where you dream a song that oh. you've written a song yeah and you kind of know it like right when you wake up and then it just kind of vanishes on you like, man, like I or it happens in the middle of the night. I'll wake up and I'll be writing a song or playing a song in my my dream. Yeah. And uh, and it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that's happened. Yeah, I've one of the best songs I wrote a song I didn't write. I wrote a song one time and I was showing the wife here and the next day I'm like, oh, I'm so proud of this. And she's like, um, what were you listening to last night when you wrote that? And I said, Joe Satriani. She goes, play it again. And it was, it was like, I don't know why I didn't think it was Joe Satriani. It was Joe Satriani verbatim. Like just a rhythm structure. I was like, oh man. And I really liked it and it wasn't mine. So I was like, throw, yeah. throw that away. 
You, so you got to, and actually, you mentioned Derek Schrinning earlier. This uh, this is a thing you may know about him. Maybe not a lot of people know about him. When he goes into writing, he he shuts himself down. He doesn't want anything coming in from either side, uh, audio wise, because we were bouncing some ideas back and forth at one time. Um, before he come on the show, and then he went into the shutdown mode. He doesn't want to hear anything from anybody, and uh, he has he really gets into that mindset. Uh, are you like that, or do you like to bring in all uh, forms of uh, musical surroundings? Uh, well, I I mean, I usually just kind of go step by step on stuff, unless I'm writing for like a a, a designated thing, like you know, with Michael Sweet, he. It was like, yeah, write me two songs, and he get, kind of gave me producer notes. Like he just wanted riffs, mm-hmm. not melodies and stuff. So, uh, or or any lyrics. So he gave me like, you know, imagine mashing up these three songs, and then it's very easy for me to do. Like, uh, so designated writing sometimes, or other times I'm just out and about, and like I said. Um, I think it'll happen from me like wandering into a store and hearing a little bit of something that I've never heard before, mm-hmm. which is cool because then I can't directly rip it off. Right. And I'll, I'll leave and I'll kind of have an idea spawn from that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'll come sure. up with a melody based on what I just kind of heard for a minute. Uh, but obviously, I won't know the song well enough to really rip it off. And I just kind of sparks, I guess, an idea or whatever. So th- that's happened to me a lot. Uh, I, I find like, you know, a chorus is usually what comes into my head first. I'll, I'll just yeah. tend to walk around writing a chorus and then it's easy to build a song out from there, I find. Yeah, that's the most popular part. In most cases, obviously, the hook. I had a really interesting story shared to me one time, sometimes where artists were, you know, they want to have the next, you know, uh, like so-and-so song. And a guitar player I'm sure you're familiar with, and I admire him greatly, George Bohone Jr., uh, Cairo Knife Fight and obviously Black Eyed Peas and, and a bunch of other groups as well too and he was on, on the show and um, you know when they were when working with Black Eyed Peas I, I guess it was Will I Am went to um, uh, to uh, a, a White Stripes a White Stripes uh, or yeah a Jack White whatever and Seven, Seven Nation Army when that song come on they, he heard that he goes I want you to write something like that and that's where uh, I went to a song called Let's Get It Started whatever uh, that's, that's their take on that song so that's kind of a, a weird twist okay. yeah so wow. you, you want that feel, you want that party, you want that, you know, that just kind of the chanting, all that kind of stuff. So sometimes people will go after that. Without co- they didn't copy it, but I mean, they wanted that feel, right? So it's kind of cool to hear that. Yeah, I find I, I usually don't write that way. Uh, I, I usually don't take a, let me try and write this type of song. But I find a lot of the people that I've worked with do. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, hey, it, it, it works. Yeah, whatever <laughs> works for the individual. I usually just like if it's if it's the the Joel Hookstra's thirteen stuff. Uh, that's just like whatever my idea is, mm-hmm. and, and I try to like you know I I like I like albums that have a lot of diversity on them. You know, like my favorite Zeppelin album is Houses of the Holy. I always reference has all those different styles mm-hmm. on there where it's not just like every song kind of sounds the same. And somewhere along the line, it became the norm to have like you know. 11 or 12 tracks that all sound identical. And I just yeah, certainly. Stand that. It's like, come on, man. It, I, I, I like personally the all over the map, as people say. Yeah. Even Frontiers told me about uh, Dying to Live. They said, well, that, that one was all over the map stylistically. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's how I like it, man. <laughs> that's, I, I, I can't help it. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm a musician, you know. I don't want to play the same sounding song over and over. Yeah. 
Well, you made a great choice on the Zeppelin record, and uh, n- normally my show, this the Friday shows used to be called EVH and Gear TV. It was 100% focused on Van Halen, and I mean, I, I when I bleed, I bleed red, white, and black stripes. So it's not like we're going away from Van Halen content here, um, but just to, just for fun, this was a question I'd bring up a lot of times. Name your favorite Van Halen record. Uh, and there's no wrong answer here because they're all good. I, I mean, honestly, it's pr- it's pretty stock, but it, it's still got to be Van Halen one. Okay, I, I think just off of, I mean, all all the songs are great, and Eddie's guitar tone on that is is amazing, and uh, it's that just that's magic. Yeah, Van Halen one is like magic, you know. I mean, they're all it's all great stuff. I even like the Van Hagar stuff. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, uh, they're talented musicians, so they they make great music. But uh, there's something I, about Van Halen one and that moment of like hearing eruption when I was a kid, and it's still got to rank as as the top one. I think it's it's damn awesome, and I would like to say that myself too. But I would just be agreeing with you. My and I love it. Trust me. But for me, the plateau is uh, fair warning. I just thought him was like a he was in a like a Formula One race car at the brink of crashing into the wall, and never did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just just absolutely amazing. But it's nice to hear everyone's opinions. There's no right or wrong answer, as we say. Here's another question from Old Guy's uh, Guitar Vlog. He says, hey, Eric, thanks for having Joel on the show. He's a legend. Uh, question for Joel. Uh, amps or modelers, uh, do you have? Do you do any mixing of both? Or are you, do you, are you opposed to modelers? Have you embraced them at all or anything like that? Well, I think it depends on the scenario. You know, there's uh, there's a tool for every gig, man. Right. And I like when, when we started Rock of Ages on Broadway, we were using EVH amps, and um, you know, we were like, let's go with real amps, let's keep it real. And then when a show runs for a very long time, and you've got no guitar tech, and you're on stage with dialogue happening, and you realize, oh, that preamp tube is starting to scream, and now how do we do, you know, right. now we've got to switch amps in the in the middle of a show, and so you realize this was not a good plan to go with real amps. The better thing, obviously, we, we, we brought in fractals on that when we changed theaters, and that was much, it was much more appropriate for what we were doing there, so there's always going to be the <clears throat> the, the moment where the modeler thing wins out out of convenience uh, but uh, oh, White Snake is still old school and we do the amps on stage loud and I still think that's the best for that particular gig because sure. that keeps it the most real rock and roll you don't want anything artificial about that and mm-hmm. uh, so all, all things have their place I guess uh, the only I don't really use anything like uh where it's a hybrid of them. I use the effects off of the fractal in the loop for Whitesnake, but I, I use Friedman heads on the gig, so I'm using amps, but I'm not using any modeling per se. Gotcha. But um, the share gig is just fractal. There's really no... It's not the type of gig you really need to have. Like, you know, you wouldn't be able to have the amp on stage anyway. Yeah. I find that's half of the beauty of having the, the real amp. If, you're, if your cabinet isn't going to be on stage and kind of throwing back and hitting your guitar, then that takes away a lot of the, the point of having an amp in the first place. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree so with that. So you see ISO cabs off to the side, and it's like, well, that's that's you're losing all the... Uh, the cycle of the even order harmonics hitting your guitar, and that's kind of the the whole purpose. So, at that point, you might as well be going with a Kemper or a Fractal or 
whatever your your choice is. Yeah, I think that's what Slash is doing. Actually, he's running ISO cabs underneath the stage, and I guess uh, his his tech has developed something. I watched the rig run rundown the one time where he's got some kind of way to send feedback back to one to one cabinet on stage, whatever to get some kind of feedback with the instrument. I, I forget how he does it, but I mean, I, I get it for sure. And especially with Cher, like you say, Fractals, I could see being, uh, you know, a blessing there. And of course, too, your buddy over Phil over in Def Leppard, I think they've all switched over to Fractal. I think yeah, that's, yeah. Phil's using the XFX3. And I, and I have to say, I mean, I saw them at uh, Madison Square Garden this year, and his sound was huge. I mean, his guitar sounded so good. So can't argue with some of the results, man. I, I, I still am like a a believer in miking up the cabinet and using the, the real amp and there's something about the beauty of the uh, the organicness of it and I think most of it is uh, the modelers if you have to go high gain they get noisy and then you have to gate and then you don't get sustain so uh, like some of the higher gain gigs that I do like TSO I use fractal on and it's tricky because I, it, it can get noisier being high gain, so then I end up using a gate, and then I end up using guitars with sustainers in them okay. a lot of times to get the sustain itself. So it's, like I said, there's a tool for every every moment. And that, again, you're not going to have an amp on stage with TSO. No. And it's just more stuff that can go wrong in the end, too. When you're hauling around tube amps uh, a different city every day for two months, uh, banging around on a truck versus yeah. the stability of like, look, this thing is going to be fine. You're going to plug it in every day. Uh, it's There's an allure to the modeling thing in moments like that, less technical issues. I agree. I've switched over 100%. I don't even have a tube amplifier anymore. I run strictly all, all modeling. But the cool thing is that you might appreciate when you ever get a chance to, uh, you know, just kind of noodle with these things. I'm I, uh, The audience can't see it right now, but you might be able to see it from the other webcam behind me a little bit. I've got the Line 6 power cabs. And what they've done with power cabs is they you can use them as a FRFR full range you know flat response speaker if if that's your thing, or you um, you can take you know you can take away your amp block or your cabinet block in your modeler Helix or whatever it may be, and they've got like probably you know two dozen different speakers in there. They even got the EVH the G12 EVH speakers in there like modeled. They sound exactly like it. It's so cool. So you can have that amp on stage, feel feeding back, holding it in front of the monitor, and now they've got the 212. They make them in 112 or 212. And it just kicks you right, and it gives you that kick in the pants that you would normally not get with a modeler. So that's for some of the people like yourself that are old school that may, would maybe never approach it. And it's a nice gateway into that for them as well, too. So kind of a cool uh, thought for you, too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a question from Pooh Ninja. He's one of our regulars and good friends here. And he's asking about TSO. You mentioned them just a moment ago. He says, where do you or do you do, uh, where do you do um, dress rehearsals for TSO or do you do uh, full dress rehearsals for them? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we stay in Omaha for like, uh, about two and a half weeks. Okay. Uh, so you rehearse in the small room and then there's, a, I'd say about a week and a half of like the big stage with the production and pyro and all that stuff to make sure none of us get blown up and all the lifts, make <laughs> sure they're all working and things like that. So, um, yeah, the the Omaha area, and then the the West Band usually starts their tour right where we rehearse, and the East Band we usually fly and do a little in venue run through wherever we're beginning as well. So it's definitely a process to mainly uh, from the production side of things more than 
uh, musically. Musically, we hit the ground running with that. We're usually like, all those guys are preparation fiends like myself. So we usually rehearse for rehearsal. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody's been running the songs for about a month in their wherever, uh, their homes or hotel rooms and get in there and pretty much pretty much ready right out of the gate. Good. Well, that's good to know. Well, then, a good question from Pooh. I also want to mention as well, too, uh, my better half here, she's running the chat, Sandra Lee. She's got an eye injury today, so she can barely see. So I want to give a thanks for a couple of the people stepping up and helping in the chat. Uh, Sonia and Ladybug, thanks so very much. So if, you're, if uh, Nocturnal Butterfly here isn't uh, uh, mentioning you in the chat, she just can't see you. She can barely read today. So, uh, And I won't even tell you how she did it. She's a green thumb, uh, a gardener extraordinaire, and it was a, a freak gardening accident. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's a it's it's a funny that's a, story. That's a spinal tap line, is it not? A it bizarre is. gardening accident. Yes, that was one. That's one. And Harry Shear is coming on the show here coming up soon too, believe it or not. Oh, right on. As Derek Smalls himself. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, oh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh the next question I have for you here as well too. Um so obviously cello, I would have not never guessed you as a cello player starting off. Uh, four years old, that was your first instrument, piano and cello, is that correct? Yeah, cello at maybe even three. I was really young. Wow. I, I didn't get far with it. I just played it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, people picture me being some virtuoso or something with it, but I, I was, you know, I think my first gig technically was playing Old MacDonald had a farm for okay. my preschool class. But I remember correctly. I remember feeling the anxiety of sitting there with it, going like, "Oh my gosh, I got to play for them." <laughs> and uh, piano, I think I started at seven and. Uh, I didn't really take to that either. My, I had an older sister who was already good on piano, so that makes it really frustrating when you have that sibling rivalry and you're getting your ass kicked every day. So uh, it just it wasn't for me. Yeah. And uh, then I heard ACDC, and I was like, oh, I want a guitar. I want to be like Angus Young. I thought he was the coolest dude on the planet. And uh, and uh, I went to my parents saying, I want a guitar. And I think they thought, oh, cool, the next Segovia or whatever. They're they both classical musicians. So uh, I think they were a little surprised when they found out what direction I was headed in. Interesting, interesting for sure. We just had a super chat sent to us from Umo. He says, thanks for having Joel on today. He's such a legend and inspirational. You're very welcome. We're, we're thrilled to have him as well, too. And thank you for the super chat. I saw the picture that you shared way fairly far back on your, uh, fairways back on your Instagram where you're playing the cello and you said you were maybe going to bring back the green suit. It was like something like your parents, just like my parents, dressed me in some kind of horrible clothing, <laughs> you know, thinking well, you're, you're going to look good for the photo. Probably back in the day it was acceptable, yeah. I think sure. it was a green corduroy suit. Yeah, pretty painful. Yeah. Our parents, I mean, my mom was very, very thrifty. That's why, you know, when she passed away, she passed away with a lot of money because she was so thrifty with her money. But she would always dress me and a generation that was gone 10 years ago. So I was always 10 years behind all my friends. It was so embarrassing. Looking back at school photos and, you know, like it's like I stand right out like Waldo, right? Uh, well, right now I'm a good 35, 40 years behind everybody. There you go. There you but, go. Even even musically speaking, I, I always joke with people that are like, what new bands are you into? And I'm like, and by new, you mean the 90s, right? Because yeah. that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty much when it all stopped for me. Yeah. And I, was like, I haven't checked anything out since then. Really. Well, that's, that's like with guitar playing where I'm at right now. I, I, I'm stuck in the 80s. Uh, it was just, I'm, I never came out of the 80s. And I, I think it's kind of a fun place to be in. There's a lot of good shred rock back in the 80s. And I, I mean, if you're stuck there, it's not a bad place to be. But here's a good question from Jensen Bell says, Eric, can you ask Joel what his main acts is and what his practice uh, routine consists of? Obviously, uh, what I, what, but, uh, do I dare say a Les Paul is your main? And uh, what is yeah. 
It's always been my uh, 57 reissue gold top, Les Paul. That's been my main one. But that has been living with Cher's gear because I use it in the show. Uh, so I found myself really over the last couple years doing all my hotel room practicing and uh, practicing at home on my – I have a black custom and a white custom, and then I have a white studio. All Les Pauls. It's always a Les Paul, though. Those are really my main – uh, practice guitars at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, the one I have with me here in the hotel room is the a white custom. Nice. And, uh, so that's the one that's getting all the hours on it. Really, the, the share gig. I think I'm playing like five, six guitars, and that gold top is only seeing action for about three songs. I think in the show. Wow. So um, even though technically that that's always been my number one, it's not getting as much action as it used to. Yeah. Now, do you, do you find, like, obviously being, a, you know, a, a shredder and obviously having, like, some of the super strats like the, the Jackson PC-1 or some of the other guitars you've had over the years, do you miss the Floyd on them at all? Like, the, when you go to a Les Paul, do you just forget about it and you're, you, you just gravitate towards that? Um, well, I'm not a big fan of the sound of, like, a, a Floyd Rose on a guitar, period. Okay. I mean, uh, as opposed to a stop tailpiece. I mean, I just think... Yeah, you can really hear the difference uh, on a Gibson. I have one, one of the Access Les Pauls, and you can hear a huge difference between plugging in any guitar with a, the Les Paul with a stop tailpiece and then that guitar. Oh, cool. And so it's uh, there. there's just a really big difference, but sometimes you got to have you got to have the whammy bar for some stuff, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like uh, the sustainer thing is really important too on on the uh, the bits in the share show that I'm using the PC one, the sustainer on it that goes a long way on gigs where you're running direct and you're not going to get sustain off the cabinet, and also ones I find where you need to engage the audience a little bit and use your hands. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I can have the confidence of holding a note with my left hand, I can engage the audience or point at people or get them to cheer a little bit, and that's a big part of what one of the segments in the the share show is about. She's changing. It's just a wardrobe change, mm -hmm. basically. It's. My job to make everybody forget the fact that Cher's not on stage. For That's two right. Minutes. So, yes, sleight of hand tricks, just like at a magic show or a circus. I don't want to. I don't want to walk out and stare at my guitar neck and play licks necessarily. Um, it, that's not the point. The point is to play to entertain the audience uh, and make them forget she's not out there. Right. So the sustainer thing can really help with that. And oddly enough, I mean, it just frees your hands up. Exactly. Exactly. I had another super chat coming here. Just want to mention that's from Jensen Bell as well too, saying thanks, Eric. So a ten dollars super chat. Thank you, Jensen. I appreciate that immensely. I, I myself just got my first Les Paul, a real Les Paul, at the age of fifty. I mean, I've always been a super strat guy since day one. Obviously, that's Van Halen's fault, um, but I've always chased that you know that super strat, whether it be a one humbucker deal with a Floyd or uh, you know the Wolfgangs come out and all that kind of stuff. And I've had copies. But I, I wasn't looking for Les Paul, and I, 2010 traditional came my way, and um, oh my God, it's really changed me. People thought I went crazy because they've they've known me for playing this particular guitar, and yeah. I get it, man. I really do get it. And there's I don't really go to reach down for the whammy bar, like, even though that's my crutch. I use the whammy bar as a crutch sometimes and creatively, but I don't miss it at all. And I did a live stream last night, and there was the jury was mixed. I had just people just like me, and there was Les Paul people, and they're like, "I like the Wolfgang better. I like the Les Paul better." But there are differences, a hundred, a hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think the Les Paul is just 
and the, the the sound it's you know you don't you can't you're going to compromise some of your technique and i think that that's the reason people play the super strat so mm -hmm. like i can play faster on this i can play smoother but at the same time you can play less on a less paul and have it sound better i think and i agree it's in the end so i mean no offense to any any of the super strat guys out there but that for me the less paul is just the that's the the best sounding, and he, even all the other humbucker style guitars that Gibson makes mm -hmm. all sound just not quite as good. There you go. <laughs> like, you know, like a V or an Explorer, or, they all sound really, really good, but like just not quite as good. Like yeah, I'm just missing a little bit. Like, hey, why don't you play an SG? Because it doesn't sound quite as good as the Les Paul. That's right. I, I'll I'll play one sometimes, but it's not quite as good. I know, and after you're playing like the Les Pauls that you play all the time, too, and I mean, holding them four feet above your head, it almost feels like you're playing something made out of balsa wood when you switch to an SG. And look at that weight comparison. Yeah, well, that wouldn't necessarily bother me at this stage of the game. I, I, I welcome any relief in that department. I, I'm, I'm starting to suffer from the Jimmy Page, like, left shoulder bent forward Ooh. permanently thing. Yeah, uh, that's not good. Here's two people that do love Les Pauls as much as you do. Uh, right back to back, some friends of ours here that both run shows here on YouTube. Dave Ars Guitars, uh, he's a Les Paul aficionado. He says TSO is amazing. I saw the West Coast TSO a couple years ago uh, in Europe, Oregon, uh, or Eugene, Oregon. Sorry, amazing show. I had a blast. And Guitar Hack here, he's got several Les Pauls as well too, and a Firebird as well too. But a, a major uh, supporter of the brand. And uh, Phil Mosley getting a new Floyd Rose guitar as well too. Listen, we're at about three forty-five here, so I, I want to let you uh, jump here as soon as, as soon as you uh, need to get going on to your next event. But uh, I just want to uh, at this time as well too. Thank you so much for taking some time with us, talking, geeking out on some guitar with us, and it's been something I wanted to do for a long time. So you've got. We just want to recap a little bit. You've got uh, um, obviously your residency in, was shared till the end of August. A few more shows over to Europe with both Share and a White Snake, and then back to TSO, and that's going to take you up to right to the New Year. Is that correct? White Snake is South America. South so America, yes. Yeah, the Share residency in Vegas, right. White Snake in South America, Share for a bit in Europe, uh, UK. There's basically seven shows that any – if people look at the schedule for that, it's Hamburg all the way through uh, – it's either Manchester or Birmingham that I'm wrapping in in the UK, uh, and then the TSO tour. Perfect. Now, I know a lot of uh, rock acts are doing in, in January, like kicking off the new year. They do a lot of those, uh, you know, Monsters of Rock type cruises, stuff like that. Are you doing anything like that? Are you going to be doing NAM again uh, this winter? Uh, I'm not sure. I really don't know my schedule, like uh, beyond. I, I think, you know, Whitesnake is, is going to do more touring, uh, I think, in support of Flesh and Blood, the new record. Uh, uh, next year so we definitely plan on that i think share is uh probably going to have some touring as well and and maybe some residency stuff and i uh, just take it as it comes but right. I, I definitely am signed up to do the monsters of rock cruise okay. uh, in february so that's that's always that's a that's a annual thing for me nice mission yeah, that's that's pretty cool too. You can connect with the fans. Uh, I know, obviously, you're out at sea for a little bit, but uh, you know, if that's if that's a comfort zone for people, I could never do it because I get motion sick very, very easily. But I have a cool way to connect with artists uh, and a, and a fun uh, experience as well too. Yeah, I dig it, man. I, I like it a lot. It's uh, it's it's the way it should be. You don't always have that opportunity to say hi and chat with people if it's a real big gig or something because you're kind of moving as a band back and forth to the hotels. And so it gives you an opportunity to say hey to everybody and say thanks for the support and all that stuff. And um, 
just keeping it real, so to speak. Exactly. And that's one thing I just want to say in closing. Uh, you, you're really good when it comes to uh, working with the fans through social media. You and David Coverdale both of just speaking of Whitesnake in general, but um, I see you active on all your platforms and I see it. I see the way that fans talk about you. So they really, really appreciate it. And I know that's not an easy thing to always do. Like, you know, you've only got so many hours of free time a day. Uh, but you're always engaging, and I think that's, uh, you know, you need to be commended on that. It's awesome that you do that for the fans. Oh, well, thanks, man. I mean, uh, it's it's really, uh, again, it's it's not that hard, is it? I mean, it's like it's nope. amazing that more people don't do it to me, uh, like uh, do that and, and show that level of respect to people that are being supportive of them. Because at the end of the day, I don't think our work hours are that difficult with rock and roll. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's, there's nothing that brutal about it. It's and and it's hand delivered to us with our smartphones these days. So That's it's, right. you know, it's it's not like you go ha- have to sit in one place to do that. So yeah, thanks, man. But again, I don't think that's anything I deserve any credit for. It's uh, I think that's just common courtesy. Yeah, that's, well, that's appreciated for sure. And it's uh, some people they never, they never expect to even get like a hey, thanks for coming out to the show. You know, from someone like yourself, right? So it's very very cool, and it, and it goes a long way, as you said. So. Oh, thanks, man. Awesome. Well, I, I I appreciate that. No problem. Listen, I guess. Listen, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. Don't take off. We'll let you get out of here so you can get off to the next thing. So I do want to thank everyone for joining in. And I apologize. Today was a fast show, uh, but we are just blessed to have Joel on the show. And maybe we'll extend an invitation next year when you have some downtime again. We can talk about everything that's been in the past and how that's gone for you. Maybe we'll be talking about that new record at that point. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you. For sure. Okay, I'll say goodbye to you out there. Don't take off. Everyone, thanks so much. If you enjoyed this video, please give it a thumbs up. If you're new here, I know there's some new fans. Thanks to Joel coming on the show today. Hit that subscribe button, and I promise to work just as hard to keep you as a subscriber as it did to get you. And until next time, cheers.